Before I launch into the message today, I want to say one more thing. Some of you are here today because you were told uh, that we were going to start a series of PG-16 messages <laughs> concerning sex. And uh, some of you are like, yes! And some of you are like, no, they're all on holiday right now. Um, uh, I'm going to switch the message up on you today. And we're going to launch into that next week. And here's why. In light of some of the events that have transpired this week, um, as I've kind of prayed through the message, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't tone deaf to the situations and circumstances that uh, we are facing. And so um, I think it's important for us as a community of faith, a gospel community, uh, to make sure that we are um, attuned to what's happening in the world around us because we still do believe here at The Well that we have the answer and the answer is Jesus. And one of the other things that I've noticed, and I'm just gonna be super straightforward about this um, because we talk very just truthful and open around here, as I've listened to and watched a lot of commentary surface on social media, and I thought that it would be appropriate to help us as a church and a faith community um, look at and understand what a right response looks like as people of faith in the midst of moments like this and many other moments that we face in our world. Um, and so today I wanna deal with the, uh, the issue of suffering today. I know, yes! But I think it's important that we can walk, around, walk away from here today having a greater theology, a better theology and understanding of what it means for us as, as Christians, as Christ followers, those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, how we operate in this world where we are going to face suffering. And it's not a, it's not a topic that we talk very much about in church, but I, w I wanna forewarn you that if you read scripture from, the, from cover to cover, from front to back, it's probably one of the greatest theologies and points of truth that you will find in scripture is how to live with, deal with, and ultimately have faith in the midst of suffering. And so I wanna help us out with uh, that today. Is that all right? Can we just switch things up today? Um, I really felt like the Spirit of God was leading me to just switch some things on us today and then we'll get back into our relationship series um, next weekend. But I wanna take us into this place. And so um, are y'all cool if I keep my man on the piano this service? Are y'all good? Okay, I'm gonna keep you with me, team. Y'all can, can just take a rest for a few minutes. and. Uh, They'll work on the volume to make sure he's not over the top of me, but I wanna just keep us in a moment of uh, both worship and, and truth. Is that all right? And I wanna take us to our scripture this morning. First Peter chapter four, verses 12 through 19, which is pretty awesome that we've been in this series. First Peter, second Peter called You Are Here. And here we are in the midst of a moment where we're all probably sitting back going like, man, we're here. Here we go again, we're dealing with another issue again, another thing that we're seeing in the world around us. And um, 1 Peter chapter four, verses 12 through 19 tells us this. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised. Every shout surprised. surprised. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? 
And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Today, as we continue on in our series, you are here. I wanna to speak to you from this subject right here. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. This is the title for today's message, A Proper Response. A Proper Response. As we deal with what our response as Christians should be in the wake of moments such as the one we are experiencing as a nation right now. Would you pray with me just one more time this morning? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful. It has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And so God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. This church doesn't need Jason's words, they need your words. And so God, I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth today would bring glory and honor to your name. And so we give you praise in this moment. I ask you to speak through me right now. And God, as we come together today as the ecclesia, the church, we did not come to an event today, God. We came to your house to be changed in your presence. And so I ask right now that you would move in our hearts and our minds in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody shouted. J.R.R. Tolkien said this, the world, in, the world is indeed full of peril, and in it there are many dark places, but still there is much that is fair, and though in all lands love is mingled with grief, it grows perhaps the greater. In her book, Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin writes this, suffering is not an embarrassment to the Christian faith, it's the thread with which Christ's name is stitched into our lives. And Jesus would say it like this in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, I have conquered the world. In other words, as Peter would remind us, we should not be surprised at the onset and application of suffering in our lives. The problem is that we still are, right now in this moment, dealing with what befalls us on a daily basis, and that is the brokenness and the frustration of a world that is marred by sin. And I think it's important for us as people of faith to take account in moments like this. And I know right now it's really hard. Trust me, I fought with this message today. I so wanted to stay in the relationship moment and it's, we're going into summertime and it's like, man, we're exhausted from having to deal with different things in the world. But I'm also reminded that it is, it is the church, it's God's people that need to have the strength in moments like this to confront the brokenness, to confront the darkness and to speak truth into dark places. Light needs needs to shine. And so for the sake of being heavy, we've provided you with donuts afterwards. <laughs> Suffering's not a new reality for us. However, it is more recently something that we've become more viscerally opposed to personally and culturally speaking, especially here in the West. It has all but become something that we believe should not even be a part of our lives. So we work and we invent and we design all with the idea of abatement of suffering in mind. One more app 
one more safety mechanism, one more warning, all in the, in the name of staving off the big bad evil of suffering. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? I walked into the bike shop the other day. My, my son has gotten into dirt jumping. Subsequently, so have I. So we have these BMX bikes now and we're learning to jump tabletops and gaps and all of these other things. And so my wife is constantly praying for us because it won't be my son who gets hurt. It'll be me. And so I walked into the store the other day to, to work on his uh, the, the bike shop the other day to just look at some gear and get his bike fixed up. And, and uh, I was struck because we went to the wall to go look at helmets. And I was fascinated as to how many different helmets there are. Now, obviously we live in a nation where sales is, is a big deal and, and there's all these different brands competing with one another, but I was fascinated at all the different mechanisms of safety in there. Like, and listen, I'm not saying like whether I'm for helmets or against helmets, that's not the issue. But like, I just remember like when I was growing up, it didn't matter. It didn't matter as much, right? Mom's like, see you soon. <laughs> And so we would go and we would live our best life and we would jump bikes and we'd stay out till the lights come on. And, and I, I remember, like, I just, we didn't live as safety oriented. Right? We just didn't live as, as safety oriented. And I found this fascinating that as we've supposedly progressed in our world, we're the most fearful we've ever been. As we've got, as we've progressed, have you noticed that we, we've said, we said this, we've advanced, have we? There's more insecurity, there's more fear, there's more hatred, there's more issues than I've ever seen before. And somehow we've progressed. And really the issue that, that's core to our, our, our being and, and what we're really trying to fight against is the thing that all of us will face at one point or another, and that is death. Statistically speaking, 100% of us will die. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? <laughs> like, it's true, okay? Now we work super hard to prolong it. We do everything in our power to make sure that we are not touched by the finger of pain. Yet, no matter what we come up with, it still finds its way into our story. Why? Because as Peter would let us know earlier, in 1 Peter 1, verse six, suffering is necessary. Now I know that's a hard pill to swallow until we understand the necessity of suffering. That's right, I said the necessity of suffering. Come on somebody, the necessity of suffering. If you're writing something down and if you don't get anything out of this message, there is a necessity to suffering in our lives. So what I wanna to do today is I wanna help us understand that necessity. What happens in and through suffering? And so to do this, I wanna take a, take a look at a few truths that the Bible offers us about the involvement of suffering in our lives. Are y'all still with me this morning? Here's the first thing that we need to understand about suffering is that suffering is an opportunity to trust Jesus. Suffering is an opportunity to trust Jesus. Say it one more time so y'all get it. Suffering is an opportunity to trust Jesus. First Peter 
verses, verse 19 in chapter four says, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to who? A faithful creator while doing what is good. Come on, he's faithful church. See, trust is a hard concept for many of us, if not all of us, especially right now in our current cultural moment. We've become a people that have found ourselves trusting less and less. So it should be no surprise that when it comes to the idea of trusting God, this idea is met with an even greater amount of skepticism and, well, mistrust. Can we just be honest in church today? We struggle with trusting God. How many of you agree with me with an amen this morning? We struggle with trusting with God, right? I know we don't like to say those things in church because we have our church smiles on right now and it's like, no, I believe all of it. No, you don't. (laughs) It's not true. But here's the thing that I've come to find about suffering is that suffering is an opportunity to trust Him. Have you ever found, like, like have you ever noticed that I don't need to exert trust when everything is going well. Right? right. Right? It's only in the moments of life that I'm shaken. One of my good friends, Josh Bingle, he'll be preaching here in July. He preached here last year, um, did a a phenomenal message on forgiveness. He, He did a message once called this, shook but not shaken. I'll make sure I give honor where honor is due. Come on, shook but not shaken. And so when we get shook, it's an opportunity for us to trust. And here's the question I wanna ask you today, what do you and who do you trust in? Because I've seen a lot of commentary over the last week as to who and what people trust in. Now I wanna make sure that you understand this, that I'm not giving a political message today. I'm not giving any thoughts or ideas on on, uh, legislation or anything like that. What I want to make sure that I'm doing today is I'm leaning into this gospel moment to be able to help us understand how we operate as Christ followers in moments like this. And I wanna let us know once again that when we are in moments of suffering and we are facing things, whether, uh, whether corporately or personally or nationally or on the world stage, can I let us know that the greatest light that will ever be shown from our lives is the light that is seen when we are trusting Jesus in the midst of suffering. For many of us, the issue of trust is going to be the difference between a life well-lived for Christ or a life on the constant edge of frustration. Frustration is produced when we have an unrealistic idea of what life and faith should look like. Come on, somebody. See, when we include suffering and pain and challenge, we actually then give ourselves the space to live authentic lives that, with faith, participate in the great story that God has for each of us. If you're taking notes today, I would love for you to write this down. Trust is the necessary ingredient for a life that will be both touched and impacted by the hand of suffering. Trust is the necessary ingredient. Come on, someone shout trust. Come on, someone shout trust. Paul the apostle knew this truth too well. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through to 28 says this. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one. Paul's a little bit cocky sometimes. He says, I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, 
far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There's the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. What was Paul saying? He knew suffering. It was included in his journey of faith and all of this would then be reconciled with this understanding a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 12 verses nine through 10, he would say this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is, is perfected in weakness. So therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, he is strong. We need to understand that suffering is a part of the journey and it's an opportunity to trust Jesus. Number two, everybody shout number two. Here's the second truth this morning is that suffering is an opportunity for us to draw close to Jesus. Not just trust, but draw close. Y'all with me still? First Peter chapter four, verse 13, instead rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. The truth is, is that suffering always produces proximity to Jesus. Suffering produces proximity. And say it again, suffering produces proximity. Come on, I'm gonna say it till you get it. Suffering produces proximity. Is it possible that the more we attempt to push off suffering, the more we push away the presence of God in our lives? In all of our desire for safety, in all of our desire to have it all together, I wanna to submit to us today that we are pushing his presence away from us. It's actually in the midst of our suffering. It's actually in the midst of our hardship. It's actually in the midst of our pain that we are closest and nearest to Jesus. Why? Because he shows up in proximity when I suffer. There's a theological term that we find in the Greek. It's called, that sucks. It's there, look it up. It was first year Bible college. I know some of you are trying to keep your, your kids from saying that, so I apologize. But sometimes there's no better way to say it. And we don't like this truth because, well, it sucks. Listen to what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 34, 15 through 18. It says this, that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those, this is important for us to hear and understand, the face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous, why? Because he's a just God. God is into justice. 
And that's actually a part of his love. For many of us, we've created some like hippie love God. And we've stripped away, we've given him, we've made him all love and no wrath. We've given him all love, but yet the Bible tells us that he's also a jealous God. You and I can't be jealous, but he can be jealous. And there's a difference in understanding his jealousy towards us, his people, his creation versus the things that we're jealous over. Come on. And so if we remove this aspect of God's nature and character, then we can be befounded by what is happening in the world. But we understand what the psalmist says. We've gotta understand that his eyes are set against those who do what is evil to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. This is what I love about the Bible is if you've ever wondered about like, is it okay to be real? Is it okay to be, uh, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago, authentic? <laughs> if you're in here today and you are crushed in spirit, welcome to church. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, the greatest worship services that I've ever been in are the ones where we are collectively crushed in spirit. There is nothing like it. Oh my God, there is nothing like the lament of God's people. You know what worship services I despise? Is the ones where we feel like we, or pretend to be like we have it all together. Come on. But a service like today and services that I've been in, oh my goodness where there's a, there's a sound of worship that comes out of a crushed spirit of lament saying, God, rescue us. God, be here. God, be in my pain, be in my suffering. God, I need you right now. His anointing falls, his presence falls. That's why we gotta stop being fake about these things. That's why we gotta make sure that we step in the moment. That's why I wanted to make sure I wasn't toned up to what some of us are experiencing. And even though what happened this week didn't touch us personally, I have watched social media, some of you, and I know that if you don't come in here today with a measure of truth about it, you sure were talking about it this week. So it's touched us all and it will touch us all again. And it will touch us all again. Oh, I'm lament for the day that the Lord comes back. I want that day, but until then, like Paul the apostle, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some of you didn't come ready for preaching at 915. <laughs> it's an important distinction to make the drawing near of God because there's this common thought that suffering is an indicator of the absence of God. Especially in light of teachings that suggest that God's greatest desire is for us to be happy, stress-free, and to have everything that we want. Big biceps, a six-pack, and a nice car. That could not be further from the truth. And the more that we understand this, then the better equipped that we are to navigate real life and real faith. As well, the better we are able to have joy in the midst of suffering as it would be defined in so many parts of the Bible. See, the dissonance that many of us experience in life and faith is because we've bought into the idea that we are entitled to a life that is safe. 
well manicured and specifically curated to give us everything that we want and desire. I'm gonna say that one more time, the dissonance that many of us experience in life and faith is because we have bought into the idea that we are entitled to a life that is safe, well manicured and specifically curated to give us everything that we want and desire. Erwin McManus called it suburban faith. White picket fences. Come on, boats in the driveway. Hello. Golf on Saturday. Smiley church on Sunday. We're back again at it on Monday. And then we are appalled. We are appalled that on Tuesday we experience suffering. How could this be? Since the sarcasm, I'm laying it on thick. <laughs> and isn't it interesting that we blame God instead of the enemy? I found that fascinating. Like it blows my mind how many people have jumped ship on their faith because it's God's fault that we are experiencing suffering, failing to realize that actually God's the closest to us in suffering. Why can't we blame the one who is blameable? <laughs> I kid you not. Like I've sat in conversations where I can't believe God would do this. It wasn't him. Why? Because we have, a, we have an entitlement to safety. God is not absence in our suffering. He's drawing near. It's this idea that causes us to cast suffering in a light that robs it of its purpose in our lives. In other words, we remove the sacredness from it. See, our suffering is sacred because it unites us in a shared experience with Christ. Suffering is immersive in nature, impacting the totality of who we are. When seen and understood as a unifying space, suffering moves beyond a temporal experience to a transcendent one. One that becomes worship, adoration, and blessing. This is why Peter would go on to say in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, the God of all grace who has called you to eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered for a little while. Are you all right with the Bible today? See, the advanced warning of suffering is to preemptively strike at the idea of not being loved by God. So we've got to deal with it because I want to tell you that God loves you. You will still experience suffering. It's in the sacredness of suffering that we experience the closeness of God. This is why suffering is sacred. It's because it's the place where God works. It's the place where God works. And many of us are trying to manicure our faith lives. And I would submit to you that in doing so, we've robbed him of the context that he needs in your life to work. I would venture to even say this, some of us are missing the presence of God because we've put a do not step on the grass sign in front of him. You ever seen that? Suffering. Come on, someone say suffering. suffering. 
This is a proper response. Number three, every shot number three. Suffering is an opportunity to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Suffering is an opportunity to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. First Peter chapter four, verse 14. If you are ridiculed in the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So the context of first Peter chapter four is obviously, it's multifaceted in nature, but he's, he's talking about suffering that comes because you're a follower of Christ. He's dealing with suffering that comes because of the world that we live in and the fallen nature and brokenness of it. And his submission to us at the end of the day is that no matter what we are facing suffering wise, this is the very place that the Holy Spirit works. His presence, his purpose, his power. For some of us, we need to experience the Holy Spirit again. Many of us freak out at suffering because we haven't had the Holy Spirit strengthening in our lives. Who we are in suffering says a lot about who we are in stillness. For the sake of being too transparent and vulnerable, I wanna tell you a story and this may carry some very strong weight with it today, because of the nature of the story. But it's one that always sticks out in my mind in moments that, especially the one we've experienced this week and have been watching unfold in front of our eyes. It would have been a couple years into Eric and I's ministry to young adults that we got a call right after a Christmas Eve service by a family in our church at that time who had two kids that were in our student ministry and a young adult who had kind of been in and out of our young adults ministry at the time. We knew him, we knew of his story. He was caught up in drugs and in alcohol. And so we got a call Christmas Eve, right after the last service and it said, hey, we just found out our son had been murdered, their oldest son. And so Eric and I being young adults pastors and in our late twenties, early thirties, we like trying to, compute that reality. Just so everyone knows, pastors don't just like pray and play golf all the time, just so we're clear, okay? So Eric and I rushed off to this family's house. We show up and the police are there and we walk into the living room and this is a family that loved God, honored God. Kids were in youth, they were in church weekly. Not that's how you honor God, you just get, you get my point. So we walked into the living room and I have never been in a situation like that before. And so they tell us the details, the police officers are standing there, young man had been found in Prescott, which all indications were pointing to, for lack of better terms, him getting caught up in the crowd that he was caught up in and he was murdered. I'll spare you from the details, but the details were more complicated and nuanced, which added to the situation. Now listen, word, words are lost in moments like that. No scripture, I'm sure they're there. Some of you might know it better than I, but in that moment, no scripture suffices. 
No words that I can come up with suffice. A joke is definitely not what you want to tell in a moment like that. All, all human faculty and capability exits the room when you step into that situation. And I'll still never forget the color of the tile. It was a Santa Fe Pueblo type of tile. They were out in the desert more of their house. I can remember the, the leather couches and I can remember what the dining room, not dining room, but the living room table had on it. And I can remember the police officer standing above us as we sat there in a circle with two parents who had just lost a son and two teenagers who had just lost a brother. And I listened to sobs and wails that I've never heard before come out of a human being. I watched two teenagers react in a way that I never knew was possible for a teenager to act and to feel. And Erica and I stood back sitting there and we were, we were lost in that moment. Oh church, but can I tell you something? Sitting there in that moment, I'll never forget what happened when the simple words were uttered, Holy Spirit, fall. And it's in the presence of the Holy Spirit where all of a sudden I watched pain and sorrow. And it sounds counterproductive and it doesn't make sense, but I watched pain and sorrow turn to joy. I didn't know how and it didn't make sense and it wasn't false joy like everything was put back together and everything was working. It was a joy that came when the presence of God falls on you. It was a joy that was mixed with mourning. It was a joy that was mixed with grief. It was a joy that was mixed with the Holy Spirit. It was a joy that was saturated by His anointing. And then I realized something, it wasn't joy, it was a lament. And it all meant to so much more. And I never experienced anything like it in church. One of the worst things that we can do as people of faith is to avoid the context of suffering where a true lament can come. Yeah. Spirit of God is near to the brokenhearted. And I can't tell you how many texts I have received this week situation after situation after situation. That doesn't even have to do with what happened in Texas, but things that are happening even in the context of our church right now. Families who have been shattered by loss, families who have been shattered by pain. And if I can be really honest with you, church, your pastor, just speaking real right now, if there's anything that we should have learned over these past three years, is we do not have the luxury to go back to happy, clappy church. Oh, joy in the midst of sorrow, for sure. But happy, clappy church. You know what I'm talking about? Manicured lives, big white smiles. They're all fake. That's where the power's at. That's where the presence is at. We sing this song today. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. That's not a hype song. That's a lament song because my soul is broken right now. My soul is shattered right now. 
my soul looks at what's happening in the world around us right now. And as a pastor, I lament, I, I, I mourn, I am frustrated, I am angry, I am all of those things. But can I tell you, becoming a keyboard warrior on Instagram and Facebook will not do the same as lamenting before the God of the universe. This is not our time to just give specialties by way of our Facebook, our Instagram. This is a time to lament. This is a time to praise. This is a time to offer sacrifice unto God. This is a time to be the church that stands loud and says, no, there is a better way. His name is Jesus. And I know for some of us, this will anger us. This will make us mad. It's suffering. I've got so many notes here and trying to figure out what I want to say next. Okay. Jesus. So what do we do? The Bible gives us a couple different things we can do in moments like this. So let me tell you the fourth point and then we'll land the plane. Number four, suffering is an opportunity to employ sacred discipline. Suffering is an opportunity to employ sacred discipline. Isaiah 58 verses six through eight says this, isn't this the fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to tear off every yoke? It is not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him and not to ignore your own flesh and blood, then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be at your rear guard. Amy Johnson Frycomb says this, she says, fasting is about three things, attentiveness, compassion, and freedom. problem is that much of what we define as a sacred moment has all been lost, has all been but lost upon us as a people and a culture, especially here in the West. We see life as a simple series of events. Ronald Rollheiser says it like this, today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together, accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it's difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have an interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad. We are more distracted than non-spiritual. We are more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. And then he says this, and if this doesn't grab a hold of your heart today, I don't know what does. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Yeah. And so we're called to fast. 
And many people are finding different ways to deal with the moment that we're facing and moments that we will continue to face. And here's what I believe to be the biblical answer and the theological position that we should take on moments of suffering, and that is a call to fasting. Fasting is not abstaining from social media. Fasting is not abstaining from TV. That's not, that's called abstaining. Fasting is about food. And I know that sounds wild, but even Jesus would say, when you do this. Come on, when you do this. And I, again, I'm not adding shame to this or anything like that. You may walk out of here to be like, I'm not. I've still got donuts to eat. I know, I just thought about that right now. So that's a weird call. <laughs> Starting Monday. <laughs> that just went through my head. I just realized what's happening right now. Yeah. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> yep. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus told him, it's also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him into a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, I will give you all of these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. I just want us to understand that when we engage in the sacred act of fasting, we engage in spiritual warfare. Is it possible that God is not moved by what we write with our fingers, but rather what we do with our stomachs? Dealing with the specific nature of grief caused by death, Scott McKnight writes this concerning fasting, and I'm gonna end on this. Why fast when someone dies? because our respect for the person who has died is so immense and our grief so great that indulgence in any kind of pleasure desacralizes that respect and pain. Instead of drowning our sorrow in drink or flushing it away with foods, the sober person drinks the pain of death and offers the gift of grace to the bereaved with their utter clarity by remaining fully alert through fasting. Furthermore, body grief is also an act of empathy with the grieving family. The pain of someone's death is so intense or the moment so bleak or the sense of the unknown so profound or the encounter with God so deep that we find eating a distraction from memories of the one who has died, the experience of the grieving family and the reality of mortality. Fasting. See, some of us think that fasting is done in order to get something, but the Bible would teach us that fasting is done in order to give something. Fasting is response to national tragedy, personal grief, familial issues, corporate brokenness. And so here's what I wanna ask you to consider this week. 
again after church today. <laughs> is when something befalls you, when you're facing suffering, I wanna call you to fast. Even if it's just for 24 hours, to be able to step back in today and, and, and say today, I am going to use my body as an instrument of worship. It's not with song, it's not with lifted hands, it's with a hungry stomach. And I'm gonna keep myself sober to what's happening around me. And I'm just telling you right now, church, what would happen if we collectively, not just as the small C, but the big C church all decided, we are going to engage in spiritual warfare. And we are going to rob our stomachs of pleasure so that we can sit in the pain and suffering of others with the grace and the presence of Jesus. We will get back to our regularly scheduled programming next weekend. But today I wanna leave us in a place of sobriety. I wanna leave us in a place where we decide in this moment, God, we are gonna respond the right way. I know for some of you, you're like, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about that? That's not my place here. My place is to make sure that we have a theological ascent to where and how we should behave in moments like this. And I'm just wondering if we can be a church that grows in maturity right now, stands with the posture of faith that is found in and through suffering well, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, just stand to your feet with me right now. I'm asking everybody to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. You know, the one thing that suffering does as well is it puts into stark focus the spiritual reality of our own lives. And I know there's many of us in here today who have said yes to Jesus, but there might be some of us in here today that have yet to say yes to him, yet to give our life to him and to follow him. And I wanna give you that opportunity to do so. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're gonna pray a prayer together, all of us together, so we don't leave anybody out. But if you'd say today, man, Jason, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to give him my life and I need to follow him. I wanna be able to include you in this prayer. So come on, as loud as we can, all of us together, would you all pray this after me? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name.